Thank you, Pastor Abraham. Thank you. And uh, greetings to all of you. It's good to see you all after a long time, though, like always, we say that it will be good to meet up. And I hope that this new year that we will always be, that we will have the time to meet up. Well, you know, coming to the, to the message, let me, let me start off. So, uh, you know, the constant refrain, refrain that we are hearing now is times are bad, isn't it? Is that, that is what we are hearing at this time. And there is so much going on in this world. This is not the world that we knew at the beginning of 2020. Uh, you know, for me, things have changed so drastically, uh, you know, from traveling so much to suddenly being boxed up into a home. You know, I'm still sitting in the study room and, uh, you know, it's been like that through the year. So this is not the world that we knew at the beginning of 2020. For some visionaries, 2020 was supposed to be a key year, especially if you look at India. You know, uh, you all of us know about the Vision 2020 document by our former visionary president of India, Abdul Kalam. Uh, it was his, uh, it was a milestone to his vision 2020, which he laid down two decades ago as a pathway. I mean, he said that we need a economically developed India with societal inclusion. Uh, he gave three principal factors that was realized and unleash a potential as a nation, the need to rebuild an economy based on technological leadership, and finally have a balanced growth model where rural and urban can not only coexist, but thrive together. However, if you look at it, in all these three areas, we have seen India actually take a step back in 2020. We are far from unleashing our potential. Our economy has witnessed a negative growth rate of, uh, we are at minus 4.5%. And we see the urban rural coexistence. Now this vision was shattered. You know, When we look at the images, the images of huge migrant population making their way back from urban centers to villages. There is an atmosphere of fear, fear about the future, fear of our security, fear of our safety, fear of losing loved ones. And so many, uh, you know, so many of us have gone through anxious moments, so many losses. I know so many people who have uh, had losses during this time. Uh, and so there is a fear that is prevailing. So in such a year, we are in that familiar time of the year, which is normally filled with gaiety and laughter and joy. How do we reconcile with a time such as this? Well, you have noticed, I mean, from just the last few sentences that I've said, you would have noticed my use of the word time. Now, this word plays an important part in the Bible. And I'm going to share with you about the importance that time plays in the Bible. So please turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. While we are reading this portion, keep note of the mention of time. Also, note the times, the word sun. S-O-N, son, is used by the Apostle Paul. Well, one thing which intrigues me, and I'm sure that many of us, you know, if you think about it, it should intrigue us, that the father sent his son. He did not send another being from heaven, or he just did not demonstrate some power from heaven to rid the world of evil. Now, why did God send his son? Why not some other being from heaven? That would have been easy for God, isn't it? 
so as you're listening while this passage is read allow your mind to dwell on these questions okay think think about the word time and look at the word the sun the way the word sun is being used by the apostle paul in this passage and in the background let it also be that you know why did god send his son so uh, if somebody can read galatians chapter 4 verses 1 to 7 that'll be good you can unmute yourself and read it galatians chapter 4 verses 1 to 7 now i say that the heir as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave though he is a master of all but is under the guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father even so we when we were children were in bondage under the elements of the world but when the fullness of the time had come god sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons and because you are sons god has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying out abba father therefore you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir of god through christ thank you thank you jijoy now if you if you look at it uh, you know you can see the presentation now i have highlighted a some uh, a few words in that you know uh, when we look at the word time especially so it is until the time appointed you know that is one of the place when we were children that refers to time were in bondage when the fullness of time had come were under the law okay now no longer you know it's it all refers to time i'm sorry but i'm going to mention some greek words i am doing that so that we can get a little deeper into this words so that we can understand some of these terms better now let's look at that word time appointed you know time appointed by the father time appointed now this word time appointed is a greek word protesmios which actually means a time fixed beforehand pro means for and titani meaning a place to place which it's a it's an upright and active position so what does it mean this time is a time that is placed beforehand by the father and what what is it that the father is determining beforehand there is a shift that is happening a movement from a position of being a slave to being the master of all all that belongs to the father is now is 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 that is the place where we actually are you know as 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 sons that is the reason that he is an that 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 he uh, is an heir an heir is the one who appropriates that which is jurisdictionally his okay let me repeat this an heir is the one who appropriates that which is jurisdictionally his and the second word is the word uh, uh, you know the greek word pleroma which is fullness of time which can also mean fulfillment and the time the word time here used is the uh, is the word chronos and uh, you know the new testament i'm sure that uh, many of us or all of us may know this these words the two greek words that are there uh, you know let me refresh your memories kairos kairos is one of the words that is used kairos is the greek word meaning uh, an a 
appropriate or appointed time or due season it's an it's an opportune moment kairos describes the right time for example to to tell the punch line of a joke or the right time to pick a piece of fruit from the tree kairos is about creating that right moment for for someone to en- to encounter the risen christ and uh, paul mentions it in romans you know romans chapter 5 and verse 6 he says for while we were still helpless at the right time christ died for the ungodly this is the right time for the church to reach a generation with the peace healing and purpose pr- promised by jesus christ and kairos is again the word used by uh, the apostle paul in ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16 he says redeeming the time because the days are evil now that is kairos now chronos is fr- is the word from which we get a word chronology it means exact time like that measured by a clock now chronos refers to minutes and seconds it refers to time as a measurable resource it's like a woman delivering a child exact it's an exact chronological moment now keeping in mind these definitions at the back of our mind let us look at the redemptive plan of god we all know that the bible contains a plan for redemption by god but when we study the bible we can recognize through the study of scriptures that there are two ways that attempts are made to thwart his redemptive plan now the way the redemptive plan of god is thwarted the first one which i understand from the reading of the scriptures is by the evil one so when we read some of the portions of the scriptures we may have the tendency to study them as standalone passages but when we do that when we study them as just standalone passages we will miss the overall redemptive thread that connects the scriptures let me share an example uh, let us read second uh, kings chapter 11 verses 1 to 3 second kings chapter 11 verses 1 to 3 when when ataliah the mother of ahaziah saw that her son was dead she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs but jehosheba the daughter the daughter of king joram sister of ahaziah took joash the son of ahaziah and stole him away from the king's sons who were being murdered and they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from ataliah so that he was not killed so he was hidden with her in the house of the lord for 6 years while ataliah reigned over the land now when we read this portion we need to understand it through the lens of redemptive history if we do not do that we may miss its importance or we may arrive at a diluted meaning now ataliah was the daughter of king ahab and jezreel and they were ruling the northern kingdom of israel now the daughter of the king of ahab and jezreel which is ataliah she was married to jehoram king of judah the southern kingdom and she bore ahaziah and if you go and study those portions you'll you will see that she saw that her father and mother and all their people's annihilation in israel by jehu that was happening in israel that happened in israel and here in judah ahaziah her son was dead 
Now she wanted to destroy all those who were from the house of David in Judah. Well, this may seem just as actions that indicate the lust for power. If we just going to read it as a standalone, uh, uh, you know, portion, if we just read it. However, we know that that there is more to it, as Jesus came from this same house. So there is a bigger evil that is at play here. So there was an attempt to thwart the redemptive plan of God. But look at this, 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 this woman. Jehoshiba, this little known woman, she had such an important place in God's plan. Her courage and her ingenuity, she preserved the royal line of David through which the Messiah would come. And evil people like Ataliah will begin their work, but God can always raise up a Jehoshiba. God can always raise up a Jehoshiba. Reverend Dr. George Campbell Morgan, he stated that thus evil always breaks down. It is extremely clever. It calculates on all the changes and it seems to leave no unguarded place. But with unvarying regularity, it fails somewhere to cover up its tracks or to ensure its victory. Likewise, if we go and study, there are many other incidents which were evil attempts to end the redemptive plan of God. It will be worthwhile for you to carry out your study. Uh, if you are interested, if you, you can go ahead and study this. So redemption is thwarted. There is an attempt to be for, for redemption to be thwarted by evil. However, there is another surprising source through which attempts were made to thwart his redemptive plan. And that is a surprise because this redemptive plan is thwarted, which I call as the redemptive, the, the thwarting of God's plan by the two sons. Let's look at who these two sons are. So when we go back into uh, the period of time when the law was not yet given, we need to see what the promise of God was to Abraham. So if you read Gen in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to, uh, 1 to 3, we read the promise. So, uh, you know, if you read that those verses, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, this is the promise of God to Abraham. Just step aside for a moment. When I was just studying this, I just took a step back and I said, you know, if I was, if I had to imagine a conversation that is happening within the Godhead of all the plans, the redemptive plan of God, what would have the father told the son? You know, the father, maybe he would have told the son almost because the character and nature of, of God is, it doesn't change. It's immutable. So it doesn't change. So we can, we, we can presume that this is the father telling the son. He's saying, as we agree, you need to go out of heaven from this family, from your father's house to a land, to the earth that we created, I will send you, I'll send you to. Through you, we will have a great nation of priests and kings I will make your name great. Doesn't it sound very familiar? 
if you look at it uh, you know you uh, we 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 look at what the father is telling uh, or the lord is telling abraham uh, uh, abraham at the time saying get out of your country from your family from your father's house to a land that i will show you i will make you a great nation i will bless you and make your name great you know it's exactly the same thing when we look at incarnation we 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 can we can understand that this verse from genesis almost seems like a precursor or a foreshadow of what is to come in time okay now if we go further back in the first few chapters of genesis we see adam who is called the son of god now the gospel writer luke in chapter 3 he connects jesus and adam through tracing the genealogy of jesus he leads us right back to adam who he says is the son of god in verse 38 if you look at it chapter 3 verse 38 in luke you see that he is called the son of god so in order to understand jesus we need to understand adam we must note here that god's plan for humans is revealed before the creation of man if we look at genesis chapter 1 verses 26 to 28 we read then god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have a dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them then god blessed them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth just as we see the mandate the covenant the blessing over abraham we see the blessing on adam so we see you know uh, when when we when we study this verse we see that god's plan is revealed before he created man in his own image and in his likeness god had already planned something else there was a plan beforehand that god had placed beforehand there was something else that had happened before so now the plan for this created son was revealed before he was created and god's blessing is related to god to adam's stewardship the son's stewardship or son's son being the master over all of god's creation the son was created to be the master over god's creation he was created to be he was not created to be a slave he was not created to be a servant he was not created in that you know when we look at that that the 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 way god is telling him you know the the plan of god it says that let him have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air over the cattle over all things god is creating in so his image and his likeness is that of the master and that is the master whom he he sends and he he creates and he gives the master the mastery over everything so this was the plan of god so the 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 son the individual son the first son that we talk about the individual son was created to be the master 
who would then be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion, meaning to say be good steward, he would be the bridge between heaven and earth. Now, Adam, however, in his, in his rebellion from being a son, he moves to becoming a slave, a slave to sin and death. How do we know that Jesus himself asserts in, in, in uh, John chapter 8 and verse 34, he says, most, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. When a person sins, the person is not really doing what the person likes, but is doing what sin likes. So there is a change of master. Now it's no more that you, have, you are the master. There is a change in the master. You're not doing what, what you need to do as a master, but you're doing what sin likes, where you make sin the master. So even though a person may enjoy his sin while he's doing it, the person is not in control, but sin is in control. Thus Adam, who was supposed to be the master, the son of God, the master, by sinning against God, he becomes a slave of sin. He changes master. So we then see the proliferation of sin. We see the increase of sin. And after that we see, and after that is when we see God's redemptive plan changing. And, you know, he now we see the birthing of the great nation of Israel. Now, this great nation of Israel that was birthed in obedience to God's, I mean, in, of Abraham's, uh, uh, you know, obedience to God's promise. Now, Israel is called son. In Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, we read, in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, we read, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now, from an individual who was a son, we see the nation of Israel as a son. So you see, there is a, there's an individual son and we see a corporate son. But however, we read through the Old Testament that we read that both these sons failed. The son Adam, who was to be the bridge between heaven and earth, failed. And so did the corporate son of God, Israel, who was to be the representative son of God on the earth in order to be a redemptive blessing to the nations. Now they too became slaves. Adam became a slave to sin by his disobedience. And we see here Israel to becoming slaves. They're exiled. They're taken as slaves. They're taken as captives. By whom? By the very nations to whom they were to be the representatives of God. To be By the very nations to whom they were to be the blessing of God. So in the, in the whole of the Old Testament narrative, we can clearly observe the theme of the Pentateuch, that's the first five books, at work where this, there's a sequence that we can observe. It is very noticeable. It, is, it was a sequence of sin, speech, mitigation, punishment. Sin, speech, mitigation, punishment. Now, this is a constant theme that runs across 
the Pentateuch. Now this sequence needed to be broken. Now, when we look at the fulfillment of time, we need, we, now we understand it better, isn't it? Now there are many Kairos moments before arriving at the Kronos moment. There are many periods and seasons that will indicate and dictate the Kronos, the, chrono, the, 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 the Kronos moments. The earlier period is clearly one in which the sun, individually and corporately, is now a slave. That is the fulfillment. Now, when we talk about fulfillment of time, or you know, when we when we when we when we when we talk about its fulfillment, it is not just that God one day just woke up and say that, oh son, now go, go into the world. I'm sending you there. Go and redeem this world. No. The fulfillment of time is a time when God's plan, which has been thwarted by the sons themselves, by the individual son and the corporate son, now God has to, he keeps his redemptive plan going. This is now the fulfillment of time. The time had come for the heavenly son of God to come into the state of the failed earthly son who is now a slave to redeem the individual and corporate son and restore the sonship to the individual and also eternal plan and purposes would This is the restorative and redemptive plan of God. The prophet Isaiah, centuries before the birth of Christ, announced in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, if you look at these, these verses, it's a proclamation. The proclamation contains the incarnational element through the birth of Christ as a human child. It also gives us the ontology. Ontology is the essence and nature. The essence and nature. Okay. So while it gives the incarnational element through the birth of Christ as a human child, it also gives us the essence and nature of the child, which is he is the son. It is the divine son who is being given to us from his essence and nature, which is the ontology from his ontology will flow his functionalities. People, the theologians refer to that as the economy of God. Now from his ontology will flow his economy. And what is that? The government will be upon his shoulder, meaning to say that his rule, his power, his kingship, his mastery as a son will be established. He will be now the master. He is, he's, he's the master. Ontologically, he's the master. Okay, so with this background in mind, when we look at, when we study this portion in Galatians, we can now understand what the Apostle Paul 
is telling the churches in the province of Galatia and by extension, what it is to us. So if you go back to Galatians chapter four, verses one to seven, let's read it again. Now it says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a, as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is the master of all. He is given up his, his mastery. He's given up his kingship. He's given up his authority. He's given up his, 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 the, the, the power to rule, the dominion factor where God talks about in Genesis. He's now gone. But is under guardians and stewards, which the Apostle Paul refers to as the law, until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in born elements of the world. Now that comes from the, it's the Adamic sin that is reflected there. But when the fullness of the time had come, that is all these things which were foreplanned by God, which was there in, which, which is there, which has gone past, when all that had gone, the fullness of time had come, the, the, the individual son, the corporate son had failed and we were slaves, both individually and corporately. But so when that, that is the fullness of time, when that had gone, that period is over. Now God's redemptive plan comes into play when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, that is in the presence, because you are sons now, God has sent forth the spirit, the spirit of a son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We were in bondage, in slavery through the Adamic sin that reigns within us. The son individually and corporately failed. But now in the fulfillment of time, we who were created bearing the image and likeness of God. What is that? Uh, the bearing and likeness of God. What does it really mean? That means we have the imprint of God. God's imprint is on his son. It could only be redeemed. Now that is why when I look at it, when I study it, and when I see why did God send his son, it is because we bear the imprint of God. We bear, I think we just need to appropriate that. We just need to accept it right inside of us, right in us, within us. We need to tell ourselves that we bear the imprint of God. We were to be the masters the heirs of God, everything was put under our feet. Everything was given to us to have dominion as sons of God, that we have that. So if God, if because that imprint of God is on us, it is not possible for any other created being to come and redeem us. It had to be the one whose imprint is there on us to come and redeem us. And that is why the son of God 
was born as a human into the failed and depraved condition of humanity, which is also pronounced by the law, the son of God, he came and he bore the imprint of fallen humanity. How wonderful it is, isn't it? Just think of it. That the perfect God now in his redemptive plan he gave the imprint of him. That is, he be exactly like him. We have the masters. And then we lost it. We became slaves. And what does God do? Because that imprint is on man, God had to come. He had to send his own son. He had to send his son so that the son can now take the imprint of the fallen humanity in order to restore the imprint of the fallen humanity back to the imprint of God. Just amazing, isn't it? Just think about it. Look at, this, look at the way God has worked through the redemptive history of mankind. He loves us so much. He loves us. So much that he that you know the, the restoration of that imprint of God, that is the process that we are in. That is the place we are in. The Son of God was born as a human in order to redeem us individually and, and corporately, whereby the imprint of God, the imprint of the Master is restored in us. And because we have that imprint, we are now able to call out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. That is, you're, you're, you are restored to the position. We are restored to the position of the, of the son, of the master through Christ. We are no longer in bondage. We are, no longer in, we are no longer slaves. We are sons. We are here to fulfill the will of our Father. Christmas is the restoration of God's imprint on us, his sons. Hallelujah. Christmas is the restoration of God's imprint on us, his sons. Just amazing, isn't it? Just, just think about it. Just dwell on it. Meditate on it. Think what God has really done. So how does this impact or play out in our lives? I started off by talking about the fear and uncertainty that is, that is prevailing in the present world. However, we need to realize and appropriate the fact that the Son of God was sent so that we might become sons of God. The Son of God was sent so that we, we might become the sons of God, the representation of God, the master of everything that God has created us, the bridge between heaven and earth, the restored son of God. We don't live by uncertainties and free fear that prevails today. We live with complete consciousness, complete consciousness and a complete understanding that we are sons of God. We live under his authority that is established through his word and we live with his authority 
that is rooted in incarnation we live under his authority that is established through his word and we live with with his authority that is rooted in incarnation and this authority is established in love it is established in vulnerability it's a human child he comes in as it's established in that vulnerability and most importantly it is established in a firm relationship with our father so our fearlessness proceeds from our fear and submission to our father as a, as a son it proceeds from that our hope proceeds from the great knowledge that we are his sons and our time and our times is secure in him it is safe in him not just for now it is secure for eternity what are we operating out of are we operating out of a place where there is still that spirit of slavery or are, or are we operating out of a place that we are his sons that is what we need to remember all our lives so what is it that Christ, what make christmas a time of great hope it is god's initiative it is his initiative to redeem us it is his initiative it is the assurance of god's ever abiding presence with us the redemptive history is a, is a time when we talk about redemption and we talk about history it is the time of god in history that is the redemptive history it is the availability of god's power for us to overcome to to change our position from being slaves to becoming masters to overcome and most importantly for us to always remember this to appropriate it to keep it right within us to bring it down into our into our lives for for for, for allowing it to play out in and through our lives it is the restoration of the imprint of god on us his sons that is christmas that is christmas it is the restoration of god's imprint on us his sons so may god bless you may god bless your family with his peace and love as you celebrate the entry of god's son into this world it's such a beautiful time when we recognize that it is the son of god who came into this world to restore us to the to becoming the imprint and to to be called as the sons of god on behalf of grisel and uh, pratik and pranav pranav and pratyush i wish you all a happy christmas thank you over to pastor